going to be looking this morning, Galatians chapter 6, a very familiar passage of scripture. Be not deceived, verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We are coming down to the last few verses as we have looked at the book of Galatians over the last few months, and we find this very famous passage today almost always considered within a context of sinfulness. We point out, many preachers have, that the law of sowing and reaping, you reap what you sow, sow, is written in the constitution of God's universe. We point this out because it is. It is a law just like the law of gravity is a law. You reap what you sow. It would be awfully confusing, after all, (laughs) If you planted butter beans and harvested uh, cantaloupes, I mean, that would would be a little odd. You'd say to yourself, well, I've got some seeds here, and it looks like that it might be butter beans, but, um, you know, I'm just going to go out there and plant them and see what happens. Who knows? God didn't leave us with that kind of confusion. You reap what you sow. And that is an absolute law that has been established by God. We add to that the law of the harvest. It expands on the law of sowing and reaping so that it says not only do you reap what you sow, but you reap more than you sow and you reap later than you sow. That's the law of the harvest. And again, it's almost always used within the context of sin and of sinning and There's nothing wrong with doing that because it is, in fact, in the context, he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But when we look at this passage as the Holy Spirit actually gave it, we see that there is a different kind of context, that the overarching principle that is being established is different than just the idea of sin so that when we sin, then we reap what we sow. And while that is in there, we can make that application. I think you'll see that the actual context then opens up some far broader implications. And so the first thing we'll see is that there is a context in this passage of generosity. Verse 6 comes before this, of course. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And it is then after that... Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Uh, This speaks of our generosity, and it is found within this very obvious context of those who are taught in the Word of God, sharing with those who teach them, and that responsibility is one that has been established by God. It was there in the Old Testament where it said, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And that passage then, then has led, given rise to the concept of preaching uh, that is called, uh, man, you really uh, shut down the corn today. That's where that came from. Y'all, y'all have never heard that in your life, some of you, I can tell. If you go out today and say, preacher, you really shuck that corn, uh, that's where it came from. It came from that Old Testament passage that says you don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that's treading out the corn. And the principle was then that uh, that person then who's proclaiming the gospel as it's put in the New Testament should live of the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 says, 
Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. This passage gives my job description as a pastor. I labor in word and in doctrine in the preaching and teaching so that primarily my time as a pastor is spent in the prayerful study of God's word, the preparation and development then of messages that we come together at least three times a week and then other places through seminary classes and and even in private instruction where the teaching of the Word of God happens. They say that the secret to happiness is to have a job that you love and I want you to know this morning I love what I do. If my job is the preparation uh, of messages and the, uh, then the proclamation of the truth of God. Folk, I love what I do. I love it. And I'm very thankful then to have that opportunity. I had the glorious privilege of studying and learning the truths of God and then coming in here on Sundays and giving it all that I've got and knowing that all that I have is woefully inadequate because unless the power of the Spirit of God is at work in it, then it all goes for naught. But it does. We claim that promise week after week after week where God said, My word shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish the things whereunto I have sent it. So God has made that promise, and we claim that promise. The Word of God is powerful, and it accomplishes the work of the Spirit of God. In this passage, then, the obvious context has to do with financial support. But the text is not limited to that. Because it says that those who are taught in the Word then can share with those who teach in all good things. I tell you, I've been brought all kinds of good things over the course of my ministry. Jelly and jams, homemade bread. Peas, squash, cornbread, eggs, all kinds of things. And they're all good. And every one of them is gratefully received. You all know what it's like to share your burdens with your pastors. And that's exactly the way it should should be. When you call us and you have a problem, you've got a burden, somebody that you want us to pray for, something that's wrong either in your life or in the life of someone else, you share that then with your pastor. You want us to pray with you. That's a good thing. It's exactly right. But don't forget that you can share the good news with us too. Every now and then just call us and say, hey, not having a crisis today. We just got some good news that I wanted to tell you. Share with us in all good things, not just in the financial things, not just in the offering of of good things, but to share the blessings that you experience in your life. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12 says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves for their work's sake. Remember that the work of, uh, that we have is the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Believe you me, I've observed over the years that there are a lot of people who just really don't like preachers. I know that comes as a shock to you, but it's the truth. And it is almost always true that those who don't care much for preachers don't care much for preaching either. And the other side is also true. Those people who love the preaching of the Word of God, then they they love and highly esteem those who do it. 
It is the responsibility of those who are taught according to this passage to get to know those who teach them. And I'll tell you what, the last year has been a challenge in this regard. But it's not anything new. When uh, first started out in ministry many, many years ago, it was very uncommon uh, for us to, to go home on Sunday uh, because we almost always had an invitation to go somewhere out to eat with somebody. And over time then, that began to kind of go away. And don't get me wrong, folk, I'm not fishing for anything today. I'm not. I'm not. Just making an observation here. That's the way it used to be. Now, along the way, that stopped. And I blamed it on having five kids. I mean, it's, a, it's quite an ordeal to invite some, a family of seven. I mean, you'd have to cook three times as much as you normally would to invite the preacher and his family over. I, so I just thought, you know, well, we got all these kids. But, you know, now it's just me and Nancy. I can't blame it on the kids anymore. The fact of the matter is, and you know it, and I know it too, the world has changed. And listen to me. COVID made it indescribably worse. We are going to have to work at this task of reacquainting ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ, of, of getting to know what it means to fellowship one with another. You see, certainly as a pastor, I have to know the sheep, but as the sheep, you have to know your shepherd too. And you'll learn a lot about me by just listening to me preach. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you listen to somebody over and over again. You learn a lot about me. It doesn't matter how many times people pray, well, Lord, hide Brother Rich behind the cross. There ain't no place to hide up here. This pulpit uh, doesn't give me much of all. Uh, I mean, that, that, what is in me comes out. You learn a lot just by listening. But we need more. We need that personal relationship that the Bible talks about in this passage, knowing those who labor among you. Now you might be asking, well, Brother Rich, why are you preaching about this? I'm preaching about it because I'm preaching through the book of Galatians, and it's in the text. It's what the passage is about. Part of the context of, of you reap what you sow has to do with this whole concept then of generosity, of sharing with your spiritual leaders, being good to them. I want to say right now that I am so very thankful for how good Faith Baptist Church has been to me and to my wife, Nancy. Y'all have been good to us. And you're going to, I believe, with all of my heart, to continue to be good to us. But in this area of getting to know one another, we need to work on it, son doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go to all the trouble of cleaning up your house and dusting off the good china that you never used for anybody else and, and having this big ordeal of inviting us over. You might not feel like, man, I don't have time to do that. I just want you to know I like Waffle House, okay? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a simple guy. A cup of coffee at McDonald's is fine. Just come by the office. You just want to come by and visit. That's great. I tell you, there's a lot of good visiting goes on out on the lake. Just saying. <laughs> you know, that got some tractor work needs to be done. I, I can do that, but it's kind of hard to visit in the tractor. It can go on. A lot of different ways, folks, that we can spend time together. And because this passage is in the Bible, know them that labor among you. 
Uh, that means that the time that I spend with you, just hanging out and getting to know the time you spend with me, just hanging out and getting to know me, those are good times. It's right. It's biblical. It's right in line with what the Bible says. You say, well, I, I know you're busy. I'll take you away from your work. You are my work. What are you talking about? You are my work. And so this is all right up front. It's, it's what we're supposed to be doing. We need to work on it. There's always room for improvement. So there's the context of generosity. There's also then the context of goodness. Verse 10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so the concept of sowing and reaping, you reap what you sow, is placed within that teaching of generosity. But it's also placed here within this general concept of doing good to people, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as a New Testament church, we look at everything through the lens of the Great Commission because Jesus sent us out uh, to share the gospel with people so that we see people saved and we see their life changed or baptized. They join the church. Uh, they get active and get involved and become faithful followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what we're here for. Let's just understand it is a whole lot easier to share the gospel with somebody after you've been good to them than it is after you've been mean to them or hateful to them. And the fact is that we are human and we can be a whole lot of both. We can be good to folks or we can be hateful to folks. We can be mean to folks or we can be nice. But you and I both know people right now whose heart is almost completely closed to the gospel because some Christian was rude to them. Somebody was mean to them. We need to think about this, you see, through the lens of the Great Commission. One of the ways that we can help fulfill that responsibility of making disciples of the whole world is just to be good to folks, be good to people. We can help people certainly and meet their needs. And especially within those who are of our church family, if there is a limited amount of resources, and there, there is, and sometimes we might have to make choices. And we always want to look around really close to us, right here within our own church family. Where there are people who have needs, let's try to do good. Especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As you have opportunity, we don't have to go looking for this. The opportunity comes to us. I like to say God brings a lot of people to our doorstep right out here. And when they do, we have then the opportunity. Then we can do good to them. And we never know how God is going to use that. We'll see that a little more clearly as we think about then thirdly. If there's a context of generosity, and there is, and, and there's the concept of goodness, let us do good to all men, uh, then there's also the anticipation of the gathering, the harvest. We see it in our text uh, they shall also reap. There is the concept of reaping given to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 gives us another thought. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You see, the law of sowing and reaping places us in anticipation of the harvest. 
the gathering in, the reaping of the fruit of our labor. God himself is in the harvest business. Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified in John chapter 14. And when you bear much fruit, God spoke to Israel as his vineyard. And he said, I gave you everything. I did everything for you. I built a tower. I fenced it in. I planted the choicest vines. But I came to you for fruit and there was none. They'd taken it all themselves. God said, what will I do? He says, I'll take the vineyard away from you and give it to someone else who will give fruit. And that's where the New Testament church comes in, folks. That's how we ended up being in the harvest business. But God is still in the harvest business. He is glorified when we bring forth fruit. And if we're going to have an abundant harvest, there's only one way to do it. We've got to sow a lot of seed and do a lot of work on the field. Even then, when we sow all we can sow and we work all we can work, we know that we can preach and we can pray and we can work. We'd have to be blind not to see that here in America, we're dealing with some increasingly hard soil. Remember the parable of the sower? And some of the seed fell on good ground, but some of it fell on that old hard, rocky soil. You know it and I know it. The hearts of the people in America, the hearts of people in Cabot are growing increasingly hard to the gospel. That doesn't mean it needs less preaching or it needs less sowing. It means it it needs more. You may have noticed over the last year that I've tried to increase my preaching, plain preaching of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've done this because I felt such a burden. It's not hard. You can preach the gospel out of any passage in the Bible, but just such a burden to make sure that we're getting the gospel out there. I believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is empowered then by the Holy Spirit of God to do what only the gospel can do. And it doesn't matter how hard that heart is. God, the the Holy Spirit, has the power to break that fallow ground up and make it receptive to the gospel. I may be preaching right now, you're an old man. I'm not afraid to call you an old man because you are, and I'm one too. You hardened your heart to the gospel maybe for a long, long time. But for some reason, you find yourself sitting at home watching this old country preacher, and you don't even know why. And you don't know that the Bible says that there's none that seeketh after God. And that if you're interested in spiritual things, you're not just conjuring that up on your own. That's the power of the Spirit of God working on you. Opening you up, maybe, for the truth of the gospel. You don't know why you're listening. Maybe you've been hardened to it for years, but I want you to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is still for you. It's not too late. And that stirring you feel in your heart may very well be the Spirit of God breaking up that hard heart and that soil. You say, well, preacher, I've known so many hypocrites. Hey, we're all hypocrites in our own way. There's not a person here in this building. There's not a person uh, behind any pulpit in this country that can't talk a whole lot more gospel than we can live. That's just the truth. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But if you'll admit it, maybe you've been a hypocrite too. Say, what do you mean? You've denied God. 
when in your heart you believed in Him. You've denied Jesus Christ, but in your heart you know. You know that He's real. You've turned away from the gospel, but in your heart you've always known that Jesus had saved you if you'd call on Him. There's a whole lot more ways to be a hypocrite, you see. Might not be some old person. Might be some young person. You're struggling. You're watching. You don't know why. You're struggling. You don't feel very valuable. I want you to know that you'll never understand how valuable you are until you realize that essential principle of life that the true worth of anything is determined by how much somebody will pay for it. How much are you worth? You have to look at the cross of Jesus Christ to see what he paid for. How valuable are you? How worthy are you? (laughs) How much are you worth? I feel so worthless. You never know how God has got you listening today just so you can find out how precious you really are. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. If you haven't received Him, it's time that you did. There's a lot of hard ground out there But the gospel is powerful. The Holy Spirit is real. And He takes the preaching of the gospel and He uses it. The gospel has always been the power of God unto salvation. It is now, just as it has always been. I think of the way that God brought Philip and the Ethiopian together. There was the Ethiopian, gone to Jerusalem, seeking after God, didn't find him. And God picked up Philip out of that revival meeting he was preaching in Samaria and took him out to the backside of the desert to share the gospel with that Ethiopian. God has a remarkable way of getting people at just the right place at just the right time so they could hear the message. And it may be some of you that are here today and you don't even know why. It may be some of those just as real who are watching from home. You don't even know why. You see... There's a hardness settling in the hearts of people all over America today. But God knows how to break up that fallow ground. And the power of the gospel can get through to that. You see, we're generous to those then who labor in preaching and teaching. We're good to all men. Because those two things then create a mighty opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ to do what only the gospel can do. As we live then in anticipation of the gathering, the harvest, there are three questions that we should ask. First of all, what are we sowing? That's the first part. As we are anticipating the gathering, there's a harvest business that we're involved in. You reap what you sow. Then we ask ourselves the question, what are we sowing? Are we sowing the good stuff, the good things? All of us are sowing something. And we can let loose a lot of bad stuff, a lot of sinful, vile, evil things without even knowing it. Without even realizing that it's going on. We can be sowing a lot of evil, fleshly things. And if that's what we sow, then that's what we'll harvest. It's so difficult for us, though, to see it as it really is. I heard a story that uh, goes back many years ago of a group of uh, of female uh, high school athletes. And for some unknown reason, they were uh, decided that that, uh, when they got through with their their, 
workout, when they got through practicing and got ready then to go back, that oh, and they had this big long mirror in the dressing room there. And for some unknown reasons, the girls decided that, you know, instead of when they put their lipstick on, instead of dabbing it with a napkin, uh, they, they, they kissed the mirror and then left that imprint of the lips on the mirror. One of them did it, and then another one did it, and before long it was a daily ritual, and they'd have all of those marks on the mirror. The janitor got tired of it really quick, so he complained to the coach. The coach called a team meeting, had them all come in after school one day, and had the janitor come in. They said, we just want you to see how hard it is for the janitor to get that lipstick off the mirror. They were all astonished, though, when the janitor did not go to the mirror, he went to the toilet. Squirted that stuff in there, that cleaning stuff. Got that little brush and swirled it around. Went, you go ahead of me, went right over there to that mirror and started scrubbing that lipstick off the mirror. They said they'd never kiss the mirror again after that. I want you to know today, a lot of times when we're so into the flesh, we really don't know what vile stuff we're kissing. We don't know. We don't know. You see, you have to look in the Word of God to really see how bad it is. That's why that Galatians 5 had the works of the flesh in there and what all they are and what we get when we turn the flesh loose and how vile and evil it is. It's a bitter fruit. We may not see it. But it's being planted in somebody else's life. We don't want that. What are we sowing? Are we sowing the good stuff? When we do, Jesus said this in Luke 6, 38, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. And that's your heart. The prosperity preachers all want to tell you that that bosom in that passage refers to your pocketbook. Well, they carried their pocketbook uh, over their heart in Bible time. I don't believe that a bit. Jesus, you see, said, It is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. The blessing comes to our heart. So as we're giving out then the good seed, as we're being generous, as we're being good, then we're sowing that good seed. And Jesus says, it's going to bless your heart in a mighty way. What are we sowing? Are we sowing the good seed? Where are we sowing? Two fields are mentioned in the text. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Two fields. The first field is to sow to your flesh, to his flesh. This is where our goodness and generosity could be sown to ourselves. And there's a sense in which that's okay. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul said, No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. See, we have to take care of ourselves. And we all know that a significant portion of our life is spent making what we call a living. 
That's how we put food on the table. That's how we put a roof over our family's head. That's how we pay their medical bills and provide them with a cell phone. We all know that's an essential part of life. Uh, they got to have a way to get around car and gas. And how do we do that? Well, we make a living, and that's how we do it. So there's a significant way and a perfectly good way that we sow to our own flesh in a sense But when we get to the point where our goodness and our generosity never makes it past our own nose, there's a problem. And it's clearly identified in this passage, shall all the flesh reap corruption? You see, the the flesh corrupts it when we begin to put everything into ourselves. It breeds an inherently selfish and self-centered approach to life. It's all about me and the good stuff comes to me. But Jesus warned us that if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. You remember that passage? That's what it's all about. The flesh consumes and ultimately kills and destroys and corrupts what we sow to it. Then this passage gives us a promise, though, that's in direct opposition to that. Because, see, when we sow to the Spirit, there's another field where we can sow. We can sow to our own flesh. He that soweth to his flesh. But we can also sow to the Spirit. And when we do then, we will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Where the flesh consumes and ultimately destroys and kills whatever we sow to it. When we sow to the Spirit, there's an everlasting reward. It's like what Jesus said to Mary after she broke the alabaster box. And he said that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, this story will be told as a memorial unto her. And who knows how many generations, how many thousands of times that story of Mary's precious gift to Jesus has been told and told again. We never know what the Spirit of God is going to use our goodness, our generosity uh, to accomplish He takes it and uses it then to do incredible things that last forever. And we often miss this because we think we're sowing only into the field of humanity. We think we're sowing to other people and we may not like who we're sowing to. We're trying to be good to people, but we don't care for them much. We're trying to be generous to people, but we don't particularly like them or maybe even think they deserve it. But that's not the point. The point is we are sowing these things not necessarily to people but to the Spirit of God for people. When we sow this, we are sowing it to the Spirit. That's the other field. And we never know how the Spirit of God is going to use it. And He may not even use it in the life of the person that we actually think we're sowing into. It may be somebody else who's watching, somebody else who's a beneficiary, somebody else who sees this goodness and this generosity. What are we sowing? Are we sowing the good stuff? Where are we sowing it? Do we sow it to the field of the flesh or do we sow it to the field of the spirit? Then when are we sowing? Galatians 6, 9 talks about in due season, verse 10 then, as we have therefore opportunity in due season. The flesh, you see, operates on the principle of instant gratification. Just give me what it wants. It wants what it wants and it wants it right now. But when we sow to the Spirit, we know that there's a time of waiting and a time of working before we see the harvest. Jesus 
told the disciples, I'm sending you to harvest fields upon which you bestowed no labor. Somebody else labor, and you're going to enter into their labors. I think about that a lot in the Lord's work. You know, we see something happen, and we don't know. We have no way of knowing. Maybe somebody comes to church, and they get saved. And you think, man, the preacher, Richard, guys, listen, we have no, no way of knowing how much work has been done in that person's life to get them to that point. We have no way how many people have sold into them. We have no way to know how many people have touched that life or made a difference in that life. We have no way of knowing. But while that is true, we might harvest something that somebody else has done the labor for. We also need to remember that you and me, we may do a lot of labor that somebody else gets to reap the crop. And that's okay. That's okay. After all, this is the Lord's field, not mine. It is His harvest, not mine. And who gets the glory for it? He does. All that matters is that we faithfully do what God has called us to do. We continue in our generosity. We continue in our goodness. And by that then, we continue to sow into the Spirit understanding, understanding that there's going to be some time You may sow into somebody's life for many years before you ever see the inkling of a response. Some of you wives might have been sowing into your husbands for 40 or 50 or 60 years. Some of you husbands might have been sowing into your wives for many, many years. You might have been sowing into some of your children for a long, long time. Don't stop. We're going to see a harvest. Somebody has to plant the seeds. And work the field. Lastly then. There's the promise of glory. So there's a context of generosity. There's the context of goodness. The anticipation of gathering. So that we ask ourselves the questions then. What am I sowing? Where am I sowing? And when am I sowing? But all of it going on under this last part, the promise of glory. You see, Paul tells us in due season we shall reap if we don't give up. In due season we shall reap if you don't quit, if you don't lose heart. All of those ideas are contained in the passage. But you see, this all operates in another way that Paul used the same principle of sowing and reaping. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, so is also the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. The great theologians, Brooks and Dunn, reminded us that this all doesn't stop with a slow ride and a hearse. There is more to this life than just this life. And because of that, we look beyond even death in the grave. We look beyond even our own life to understand that there is something to this work that we're doing, something to this life that we're living that can't be boxed up and put in the ground. 
be sown. Yes. <laughs> but there's a resurrection power to it. Solomon wrote a book from an under-the-sun perspective. And within that, he spoke of how that, uh, you know, we leave everything behind to somebody else. And he lamented the fact, he said, how do you know whether he's going to be a wise man or a fool? With all the wealth of Solomon, he under, how much did he leave behind? All of it. Who did he leave it behind to? A son. And that son was a fool. Let me just answer that question for you. Rehoboam, read his story. See, from an above-the-sun perspective, though, there's a glorious truth. It's not just about what we accumulate in life and sow to the flesh. It's about what we sow to the Spirit. And what we sow to the Spirit, then, goes beyond the grave. Death doesn't take it away. Eternity claims it. And the Holy Spirit then uses it to accomplish incredible things. Maybe we'll get to see them. Maybe we'll be walking around on streets paved with gold when we do. But even if we don't, we know God's promise is sure. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh, to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap corruption life everlasting our world today needs an abundant harvest I was thinking this week of the last great revival that America experienced it, and uh, it happened at the end of what was known as the roaring twenties that followed then was followed by the great depression stock market collapsed in 1929 and prosperity was gone and didn't really all turn around until World War II and after. But something else happened. You can go in old churches all over this country and look in some of their archives or libraries and you'll see picture after picture after picture of revivals that they had. They didn't have fancy baptism, baptistries. They went down to the creek and you'll see 50 and 60, 70, sometimes 100 people standing in line waiting to get baptized. Revival meetings that filled churches up in the yards all around them. It didn't just happen in Arkansas. Some of you may have heard about it from your grandparents or your parents. But it didn't just happen in Arkansas. It happened all over this country. It was the last great revival that America had. I don't know what it's going to take for God to break up the hearts, the fallow ground in America. But I know our God is capable of doing it. Regardless, it all comes down to you and me and you and you. You see, as believers in Christ, our job doesn't change. We are called on to sow the seed. Sow to the Spirit. To be generous, to be good to people, but to do so within the context of sharing the gospel, sowing the seed. And we claim that Old Testament promise, he that goeth forth with weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him.
What are you going to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ today? What a precious opportunity you have. Are you open to it now? Once you receive Him as your Savior, it's as simple. The question asked, what must I do to be saved? The answer is given, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, where you are, maybe at home or sitting in this building right now, you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior simply by saying, Lord, I know I've sinned. That's not really a hard one. And I know, Jesus, you died for sinners. Would you save me? If you'll ask him to today, he will. Say, well, what do I need to do next? Tell somebody. (laughs) Some of you at home, you need to tell your wife or your husband. (laughs) They've been praying for you for a long, long time. Tell them, I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Tell your mom and daddy, oh, my. They've been praying for you a long time. Then you need to follow the Lord in baptism. You say, well, I'm not getting out much. That's all right. You call me. I'll come to you. (laughs) We'll figure out the details. If I have to have somebody bring in a horse trough, we'll figure out something. I've baptized people in swimming pools before. I'll do it again. No big deal. Wherever there's much water, we can have a baptizing. You need to follow the Lord in baptism if you've been saved. You need a church home, Faith Baptist. We'd love to be your church home. We would. We can make that happen for you. So we can teach you the Word of God and teach you what it means to be a Christ follower. You followed the paths of sin for a long time. So do the flesh. It's not like you can just turn on the faucet and start sowing to the Spirit. No, there's got to be a change that happens to you. And that change can only happen through the new birth. So you can be born again today. Doesn't that have a ring to it? Born again. You can be born again today. If you'll receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You won't be any younger. Physically speaking. You won't be any older. But you'll be a new creation in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together please.